We are in a series um, called He Shall Be Called. And as we look at the, the manger birth, I, there's so many ways you can look at this. I, one of the things I, I really wanted to pay attention to was, was who was at the manger? Who showed up that day? Because it spoke something to them when they, they saw Jesus come in, but, but even the, the prophecy about when he was coming was still speaking. Jesus always brings something to us when we show up. And so let me tell you how important that is. I'm kind of OCD. There's a piece of tape right there. There it is. I'll be, I'll be off all day long. When we look at Scripture, we see that the Lord is very specific. Oh, let me, let me stop real fast. Wasn't last Sunday awesome? I don't want to skip past that because Elizabeth and her team, man, that was great. I, I, I don't want to skip past that and, and give them uh, props for that because that was just a great— and, and if, if all you did was just manage those babies and those kids on Sunday, you deserve high fives. Uh, that, was, that was a great program. So let me get back to what I was saying. When we, when we look at um, how Jesus came and who we came to, sometimes we forget that it wasn't just a Bible story. It's, it's more significant than that. He was coming, like I said earlier, he was coming to deal with a problem. You know, problems are really a common occurrence at Christmas. We see a lot of issues. A lot of people don't want to go through Christmas because there are a, a lot of ill feelings a lot of negativity, a lot of things lost, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. They look around, they realize what's not sitting at the table, what they're missing. And so, without a doubt, Christmas is one of the most joyous seasons, but it is a difficult season as well. And it is because it, it makes even greater the problem that we have in America when it comes to mental um, uh, health. Did you know there's a study by the National Alliance on Mental Illness that said concerning uh, the adult mental health of America that one in five adults in the USA, one in five adults in the USA have, ex have experienced mental health illnesses. That's 58.1 million people. Now, let me just help you understand that because sometimes when numbers get big, we lose the, the ability to weigh them. That is simply saying that if you were to total the population of Wyoming, Vermont, Alaska, North Dakota, South Dakota, Delaware, Rhode Island, Montana, Maine, New Hampshire, Hawaii, West Virginia, Idaho, Nebraska, New Mexico, Kansas, Mississippi, Arkansas, Nevada, Iowa, Utah, Connecticut, Oklahoma, Oregon, Kentucky, and Louisiana, total population, that would be how many adults are struggling with mental health illnesses. That's a lot of problems right there. And one in 25 adults are struggling with schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and major depression. You and I, we live in a season, and we live in a country where actually America has no idea on how to counsel people. They don't know how to lead them through the difficult things of life. They don't know how to lead them out of a, a dark place in life. And it's not just America, because there was another time, too, when Israel was going through some serious situations in life. They didn't know how to cope. They didn't know how to deal with the hopelessness and the dark situation. This was the situation that Isaiah spoke to when he, was, uh, when he wrote in 822, And they will look onto the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. There was this same heaviness. Assyria was on its way over. 
Uh, Assyria was around 44 miles away. I looked it up. It's around Ozark, Missouri. So they were on their way down. They were coming to consume Jerusalem. And there was conspiracies. There was fear. There was all kinds of things happening because they were unsure about what their life was going to behold. And in that vexation and in that heaviness and in that hopelessness and darknesses that America, 58 uh, million people in America share, Isaiah, out of nowhere, speaks about this moment. And he says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and upon his shoulders shall be the government, and you shall call him, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And in my mind, I'm thinking of all the things to name a baby to bring me hope. I don't know that I would call a counselor wonderful. I need someone to do more than just talk me out of my situation. I need someone more than just give me a little wisdom here and be sympathetic. I need something greater than that. But as I've been teaching on my class on Wednesday night, we have to ask ourselves first when we read the Word of God, what did it mean to the original audience? And so let's look at that this morning and say, Lord, what, what were you trying to tell first your people? And then what does that mean to us when you say that Jesus is wonderful counselor? First off, it says, his name is Wonderful, which is Pele, a counselor, which means yotes. And he is trying to speak to us something that we've not heard and understood before. Father, I pray in this moment, Lord, we've heard these terms a thousand times, maybe more. Lord, I pray we guard our heart that we would not walk out of here with just a callous meaning and just rhetoric, Father, of, of understanding. But Lord, I pray today, would you shed light on your word? Somebody in here today, Lord, you know, I know you know. Somebody in here today, Father, needs to know how wonderful of a counselor you are. And someone here, Lord, needs to know that you also are a counselor filled with wonder. And I pray, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, speak at least to that individual that is on your heart even now. In Jesus' name, amen. So the word Pele in the Hebrew meant something too great to be described. Something beyond your understanding, too wonderful to be comprehended. And so when Isaiah chose the word Pele, it, it was not a word that had various meanings. For over a thousand years, the same word meant the same thing. No derivatives of, of, of definitions. It always meant this one particular thing. We can see this as it refers often to Exodus chapter 15 and 11. The Exodus period is where we see a lot of this, this, this name or this term, Pele, getting definition. He says, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing Pele, doing wonders? In Psalm 77, 11, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old, your Pele, your great actions. And then Psalm 78, 12, he, he, he echoes that. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon. When we see this word being used consistently in Scripture, what we see is this, is that it's always tied to the Exodus time. 
When Jesus, I'm sorry, when I, I, Jesus is everywhere to me, so I always just say he's in the, New Test, in the Old Testament too. But, but when, when the Lord delivered Israel out of Exodus and then he, he brought them through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land, all his mighty actions and deeds were considered and called by the psalmist his wonders. His wonders. And so what I want you to know is that, first off, that is not a subjective term. It is an objective term. It is not a wonderful a feeling where they're giddy and they're happy and look what the, war, look, the Lord has done. No, no, no. It's not something like that. We're not trying to describe a feeling. What we're talking about is a true act. He did a wonder. He did a wonder. He did a wonder. He caused the Red, to see, the, the Red Sea to split. That was a wonder. He called the ten plagues to come in and judge the gods of, of Egypt and delivered his people. That was a wonder. We're not talking about the feeling that is subjective to whether or not you're feeling good or not, whether you appreciate his actions or not. We're talking about what he did is a factual thing, not a feeling thing. So what I want you to know this morning is, is simply that Jesus is the wonderful counselor because his counsel is filled with wonder. And so there are three roles that reveal his wonder. First off, he was the deliverer. As he delivered his people, we see in Exodus 3, 19 through 20. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders, not the feelings, right? But all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. So what we see is through the ten plagues and the crossing in the Red Sea is that the Lord is using them in a great way. So he disrupted their life with, with, the, uh, with the, the judgments, the ten plagues. Uh, he, he disrupted their source of living, their peace, their faith in other gods, and their future by allowing their firstborn to die. He was doing everything that seemed to be impossible. But the most important thing that there was was God was delivering them from things they could not be delivered of themselves. Let, let me just tell you this morning is that the wonder of God is to be able to set you free from the things that you can't set free by yourself. That is the wonder of God. That's why when we see a baby coming down a manger and dying on a cross and being raised from a tomb, that's a wonder. And he did something for you that you cannot ever do. In his wonder, God delivered his people from an impossible situation that left man without comprehension but not without connection. And that's important to understand. Because when we talk about wonder, God is always doing something that leaves us without comprehension. How did he do that? But he never leaves us without connection as to who did that. It's always he did that, but I don't know how. Have you ever had God do something in your life that it was a he did that, but I don't know how? And you got to witness the wonder of the wonderful counselor. Jesus is our deliverer as well. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.10, He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope. Remember, they were a hopeless and in a dark place, and Jesus has come to give us hope that he will deliver us again. The second thing was he was a provider. Jesus, uh, God came, and it was, he revealed himself as a provider. As you look through the, the things that he did, he fed 2 million people over just doing some math, about 24 million quail to make them satisfied. That's a lot of quail. I don't know how you stack quail. Well, matter of fact, the word says that they were three feet, three feet thick in the camp. Now, I, I, don't, 
I love some KFC and some Popeyes, but I don't want to be standing three feet thick of, of chicken. You know what I mean? That's just not how I'm going to do it. But not only that, the Lord provided 24 million quail. How do you get 24 million quail? He, he did it. He also provided 12 million pounds of manna every year. 12 million pounds of manna every year. But not only that, but more importantly, and I think here's the principle here. Not only that, but when they, when they were faced with the problem of bitter water, the Lord's always providing, always performing wonders. But when they were faced with the problem of finding uh, good water to drink, the Lord takes the problem and he turns it into a provision. Can I tell you, that's what our God does. In his wonder, he takes your problems and he makes them be your provision. So many times we're ready to pray those prayers away, pray those problems away. And the Lord says, no, 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 you don't understand. I brought this in here to feed you, to take care of you, to minister to you. But on the onset, it looks like a problem. But if we would lean into the wonderful counselor, knowing that his wonder is with us, his wonder is following us, then we would realize that our problems can become provision. Jesus understands this. In Philippians 4.19, amen. And my God will supply, y'all know what? Every need, all your needs, according to what? His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. In fact, I was praying the other day, and as I was praying, we, we, we were going through the prayer request, and as I was uh, um, just noticing the number of praises, uh, I, I stopped and I thought, Lord, can I be honest with you? There's so many, pra- There's so many answered prayers here. Can I just be honest with you, Lord? Are some of these coincidental? <laughs> I mean, I know y'all, okay, that's the pastor saying, was that prayer answer coincidental? Listen, y'all know y'all, y'all thought about it too. It, it just happened. Well, you know, maybe that was the one the Lord didn't get to in time, but it just happened. Praise God anyway, you know? And, and as I began to pray, because I said, Lord, man, you are doing wonders. You are doing wonders, Lord. And so my question is, honest, is this all you? And the Lord told me really quick. He said, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It's all me, Scott. It's all me. It's all me. Because his wonder is providing for us. And then thirdly, is his wonder is, he is a victor in his wonder. You and I, we have went through some difficult things in life, much like Israel did. As they went through the wilderness, they ran across um, uh, the, the Malachites. And the Amalekites were known, they were a, a, a battle or an, an enemy who came and battled with Israel, and they attacked them in their weak spots. They caught them in a weak moment. They caught them in a vulnerable moment, and they began to war against them. But the Lord had them so long as they obeyed the word of the Lord. But not just the, the battle at Rephidim against the Amalekites, but also at Jericho, when the Lord brought them into an impenetrable barrier, something they couldn't run over, they couldn't topple. And so as I saw who God God was as a victor in these wonders, I saw that the Lord was able to protect them from an enemy who exposes their weakness. 
He can cover your weaknesses, and also he can overcome any barrier that's keeping you from what God has for you. There was something in Jericho that God wanted them to have, and that was a revelation that he can do anything with whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and nothing can keep him out. So what I want you to know this morning is that if God has ever used his, his, um, his power to demonstrate to you that he can overcome any barrier or cover any weakness, he has communicated to you that he is wonderful to you and so for these three different roles has the Lord spoke to you has he showed himself to be a wonder and that he's delivered you and that he's provided for you and that he is victorious for you because this is who we're talking about when we talk about the wonderful counselor he is a counselor filled with wonder we don't just serve a wonderful God we serve a God of wonder and we need the counselor too. We need the counselor too. The word Yowet means to advise, to plan, to execute a plan. In ancient Israel, a counselor was very, very, very important. In fact, King Solomon writes consistently about this. Proverbs 15, 22, he says, without counsel, Plans fail. 24-6, for by the wise guidance you can wage your war, and in the abundance of counselors there is victory. And Proverbs 20-18, it says, plans are established by counsel, and by wise guidance waged war. So to summarize what King Solomon is saying, he's saying this, without counsel, our plans fail, and they're not established, and victory is unattainable. But thank God, we have a wonderful counselor. And so the word also says, because we have him as our counselor. Proverbs 19, 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. That means regardless of the people who are against you, if the Lord says, I am for you, then guess what? His plan will stand, and you'll be a part of the victory ceremony. Psalms 33, 11 says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Romans 8, 37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We have victory through him who loved us. And Deuteronomy 24 says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. Have you ever been face-to-face -face with an enemy that you cannot win? Have you ever been against an opposition, someone who despised you, a problem, a principle, and you didn't know how the Lord was going to work it out, but the Lord said, let me show you. I'm the one who fights for you. I'm the one who goes before you. And 2 Corinthians 2.14 says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. You serve a victorious king, but you also serve a wonderful counselor whose plans never fail and never does he lack plans for your life. This is who we're talking about this morning. And so there are also three roles that reveal Jesus' wisdom. These are the three things that we need to have in our life concerning Jesus. First off, you should know that Jesus is a necessary counselor guarding you from deception. He's a necessary counselor. That means he is not optional. It's not when you get the bad report. It's not when you get the late bill. It's not when you get the shut-off notice. It's not when you get the divorce decree. It's not, though, it's not that time to call upon God. You need God all the time because there's never a situation that he is not a necessity. Always. 
In fact, to emphasize this, let's go back to the garden when the environment was perfect and the people were perfect and everything was great except there was some counsel in the midst of all that. We read in Genesis 3.1, now the serpent was more crafty, crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you hear that counsel there? Did God actually say, you shall, need, uh, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Can I tell you that if a perfect man and a perfect woman were able to be deceived and then led into disobedience, you and I, whose default nature is sinful, who, who, the flesh is our default, you and I are easily uh, uh, naive to fall into his evil counsel because Satan is still speaking. He may not have a garden anymore, but he does have a platform. He does have a people, and he, does, he still does use pulpits. So what I want you to understand this morning is that, that, the, that the enemy is still trying to use different things in our life to speak into our life to let us know that there are alternatives to the Word of God, which there are no alternatives to the Word of God. You need a counselor who always tells you, this is sin. I don't care who it offends. I don't care who sits at your table, who doesn't sit at your table. When my word says this, this is the way it is. And any other person that says contrary to that is not your counselor. We need to have a counselor who is a necessity. A neat thing that I realized was this, is that it was Satan, an evil counselor, who ruined the world, but Christ has come, our wonderful counselor, to restore it. Secondly, Jesus is our faithful counselor. I don't know about you, but I've had some friends in my life, I will say the word friends loosely, uh, who gave me good counsel. Uh, Scott, go over there and do this. Uh, Okay. And then guess what? When we got in trouble, guess where they were at? Nowhere near we got in trouble. But somehow it benefited them, and I'm the one that paid for it. You know what I often see is in mankind, there is always a desire to help. But generally it's help themselves. And so we have to notice is that Jesus, thankfully, is a faithful counselor whose agenda is always being his agenda is always for your good. We don't always see that in Scripture. Matter of fact, most of the time when we see Israel having problems in the Old Testament, it's always because there's a bad counselor in the midst of that. We see that even in King David's life with uh, Ahithophel. Ahithophel was, he was the oracle of God. Whatever he said was as if God himself spoke. That's what Scripture says. And all of his counsel was, was fruitful. But even Ahithophel who spoke the oracles of God, was unfaithful to David, and he left David to go serve Absalom. For reasons we don't absolutely know for sure, but what we know is this. Even someone who, mm, even someone who has a word from the Lord can still be unfaithful. You better guard that. And the other thing was is that Hushai was there, and he, Hushai was simply saying, hey, listen, I've got a plan too, but my plan is to benefit me. I have an agenda. I have a narrative. I have some counsel, but it's to benefit me. Thankfully, you and I, we have a wonderful counselor who has his agenda for our good. How do we know that? Philippians 2, 3-5 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Where does, this come, where does this come from? It comes from the mind of Christ, right? He drop on down. He says, having this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Did you know that Jesus 
has our situation. He has us in mind, and he is elevating our needs appropriately. He, is, he counted us more significant than himself. That's the reason why he died on the cross, as Philippians goes on to say. You and I have a faithful counselor. He will not elevate his needs above ours because his needs are already fulfilled. Thank God he ain't got any needs. His only needs are, is his desires, and his desires is to see us living and walking out the full purpose of God. And the great thing is the full purpose of God in our life actually brings us good. It's actually good for us. So whatever need that he might have, I'm glad to do it because I know there's always a good fruit in it. Jesus is our faithful counselor. He is our um, uh, counselor of necessity. And lastly, he is our hearty counsel. Destiny, if you'd come back, please. Jesus is our heartfelt counselor, fully understanding the intricacies of our situation. We see this in Proverbs 27, 9. It says, the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Now, I don't know what the perfume and incense things is talking about. But I do know the heartfelt counsel he's talking about is more translated literally in, in this way. It says, but the sweetness of his friend from the advice of the soul. When we dig into this scripture, what we're seeing is this. Is that Jesus, when he gives advice, he gives advice from the soul. That means he is a counselor that doesn't just hear you. you know, if you came to me and, and you said, Pastor Scott, I need some counseling, and we sat down and we talked, I'd have to ask a whole lot of questions. And I may or may not be able to sympathize with you. I might do my best to empathize with you, but I may not understand all that you've went through in life. And so as I try my best, the most that I could do was to try to put myself in your situation, but I would not have the true ability to understand all of the complexities of the pain and the difficulties and the struggles that you are experiencing. But I do know a man who came down from heaven and died and lived a sinless life. And in that sinless life that he led, he also led a life that was fully tempted. He experienced all that we uh, experience categorically. He understands all of your hurts, all of your pains, all your struggles, all your disappointments. And I think, I think sometimes we don't understand that. That Jesus is a hearty counsel means that when you bring your questions of indifference to him, he gets it. Has anybody ever been mad at the Lord? Have you ever been frustrated? Listen, that this is a lightning-free zone. It ain't going to happen here. I mean, to come to the Lord and say, Lord, you're not right. That yeah, wasn't right. I did what you asked me to do. I sacrificed. I trusted. And when I trusted, I trusted you like nobody else trusted you. I trusted you. I, I, I put all my other solutions on the shelf, and I believe wholeheartedly that you would See, sometimes we forget that when we go before the Lord, he is not looking like Pastor Caleb said a while ago. He's not looking for this perfect Christian. He is looking for his child to be honest, to be real, to be open. He is the Lord. He is not concerned with your accusations. He knows his integrity. He knows his righteousness. He also understands that your hurt is really a lack of knowledge and understanding. 
you don't understand the full scope of things. And so when Jesus says that he is our hearty counselor, he understands what you're going through. He knows the pain, but listen to me, he also wants to hear it. And many of us deny the relationship that we long for with God because we do not open ourselves up entirely to him. We hold some things back out of reverence or, or, or maybe if we open ourselves to God to who we really think he is uh, and we have a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge, maybe it'll expose something in our life that we don't want to admit. And so we just hold on to some hurt and some pain. But the problem is, is that you have withheld a piece of your life that he cannot counsel. And if you've ever been to a counselor, you know this, is that the more information you share, the better the process goes. But you and I have this tendency to withhold from this heartfelt counselor. Because we don't know. We can trust him. Because what happens if we give him everything we've went through? What happens if we, if we explain a way that we thought we would be safe following you? We thought we would be fed following you. We thought we would never be lonely again following you. And all of our disappointments now we hold in our hands. If we give them over to you and trust you with them, then what happens if you fail us in holding on to our disappointments? And really, we don't know how to live with that. We don't know how to live with serving a God that is less than our understanding, less than our expectations. And really, he's not less than, but it is our perception. And, and, and God would say to us through his word, for we do not have a high, high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. And our lack of understanding the situation is a weakness. A lack of understanding how this difficulty actually is working out for our good. I talked about that last month, that the Lord can take anything and work it out for our good. But we must believe that his counsel, that in the, in the moment when he says forgive and let it go, when he says, you know what, don't expect it back, just count it as a gift and let it go. We don't understand that kingdom principle in our life. We want to hold on to what we feel like we deserve. The Lord says, if you'll take my sincere counsel, because I know what it's like to be where you're at. I know what it's like to go what you're going through. I can sympathize with your weakness. Jesus is not just a necessary counselor, keeping you from being deceived by yourself or others. He's not just a faithful counselor who, who makes his agenda for your good, but he's also a heartfelt counselor. And that his plans have weighed your struggle, held your pain, felt your disappointment, and they have seen your despair. Jesus gives a hearty counsel. He understands what you're going through. He understands the problems you're facing. And so I got three questions I want to ask you today, and then we'll get out of here. Because I know you're thinking about dinner. How will you respond is the first question. How will you respond? If Jesus is the wonderful counselor and he longs to show you the wonders in his counsel, will you respond to his counsel? Will you respond to his word? Because if you do not respond, then you have no relationship with him. 
the moment you quit receiving and walking in obedience and agreeance with the counselor, you've ended the relationship with them. The counselor is in your life that they might give you good counsel and that you might do it. And if you don't do what a counselor is asking you to do, you've ended their advice, you've ended their impact in your life. And so if you're not walking in the counsel of God, then you have no relationship with the Lord. And that's more catastrophic than you can ever feel. More than the pain that you have. So how would you respond today? Second question I have to you is this. Is that as a wonderful counselor, he has something to offer you that you might be made whole. But are you ready to be healed? And if you're ready to be healed, then, then you must know that being healed is, is, is connected with being his. You cannot be healed being apart from being his. He, healing is in the cross. It's in the atonement. When he redeemed your soul, he also redeemed your body. He also redeemed your emotions. And if you're looking for that healing, that's the reason why Jesus, when he healed people, he says, you're forgiven. Because it was a matter of who do you belong to. And if you need healing for whatever death that you have, whoever caused it, maybe it was you. For whatever reason, the Lord longs to heal you, but you first must be his. And the last thing is simply this. Are you ready to do whatever he says? Will you do whatever he says? The word is very clear and very plain. He says, if you'll love me, you'll keep my commandments. And so if we are to receive what he has for us, if we are to be redeemed and restored, we must walk by his word. We must allow him to, to heal us, but doing so means making us belong to him, making us his. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to open the altar call. I, I don't know what questions you need to answer. But I know one thing. We all need to answer a question to some degree. So my question to you is, 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 is how will you respond today? We all come around this, this manger Funny enough, the manger in itself really is a wonderful counselor. And that his plans as a counselor have been made manifest through the miracle of the virgin birth. There is a counsel and there is a wonder that is waiting for you. And I know it is because you yourself have problems that only he can fix and only he can address. Will you allow him to address those today? Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, thank you so much, Father, for sending your son. I pray, Holy Spirit, that, that as I have been talking, you've been doing way more communicating. I know there are, there are at least a couple people in here this morning, Father, that you are looking to mend. Some are holding on to some hurt and some pain. Some don't know how to let it go, Lord. Giving it to you makes them feel like the person who caused that pain gets off the hook. And that's a difficult thing to do. Some in here, Lord, today, Father, cannot forgive themselves for the things that they've done and they feel like they're unworthy. They can never return to you. But that's not true either. 
So Lord, I pray today you would provide your counsel as we seek you, as we open our hearts, as we bend our knees, I pray. Lord, would you come down in this moment like you came down 2,000 years ago, Father, in a manger and reveal, God, your counsel through a wondrous way. I pray you would do it again in our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Would you come and join me at the altar this morning?